you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to Psalm 119 this morning. Psalm 119, we're going to look at verses 49 through 56. Psalm 119, 49 through 56. And uh, so last time I completed Luke, so I thank God for that. I just praise the Lord for that. That's awesome. Uh, feels good to finish books. Uh, I don't think I'll ever finish this book of Psalms, so, but that's all right. Uh, I'm trying to at least get through Psalm 119. And I, and I look back in my uh, calendar, and I think, this is a series I started six years ago. So um, maybe I'm... <laughs> I mean, you need another 20 years or so to finish this series. But it's, uh, I've kind of, on occasion, just been preaching different stanzas out of Psalm 119, because Psalm 119 is just a beautiful psalm that speaks of the, of the beauty of God's word, the treasure of God's word in the, in the life of the worshiper of God. And so I've been wanting to just come back to it and just kind of be refreshing it. Uh, we are a, a church called San Francisco Bible Church. We do believe that the Bible is important, the word of God is important, and so we wanted to, everyone so I'll take a look at, at this passage. And so this week and about, and uh, not next week, but the week after, I'll be looking at Psalm 119. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm 119, verse 49 and 56. Uh, it's, oh boy, it's pretty, it's pretty neat to go into the Old Testament. I haven't been there in a, in a I feel like a, a while. Uh, so it's, it's just kind of refreshing to be in this book again, Psalm 119. All right. And for the sake of time, I'll be reading this, uh, the, the text within the sermon this morning. Well, many of you know, uh, since June 15th, the state and county of uh, uh, state, uh, as well as the county, our, our county, have uh, removed basically all COVID restrictions from uh, many businesses, and, and that's we rejoice in that, I'm sure. Uh, of course, we uh, all businesses have a, a can choose to continue to, to put in place some uh, restrictions and some guidelines so that uh, that they believe are best for the safety of their of the, the the people that come into their their organization or the building. And although COVID nineteen and its you know and its various uh, several variants continues to exist, it does, and it continues still to be in a sense a dangerous disease. The the danger of the widespread infection of this uh, disease has seemed to be diminished, at least according to uh, the numbers. Uh, and so. Next week, we rejoice. Uh, another reason to give thanks is that next week, we're going to return both our services. Or we have our 8 a.m. service, which is already indoors, but also our 11.15, but we're going to push it back to 11.30. Our 11.30 a.m. service is going to be indoors next, beginning next week, so at least uh, Lord willing. And uh, it's uh, something that we're looking forward to. It'll be a joy to finally get to see so many of our, uh, of our people back in this particular place, this building, uh, and be encouraged by the worship that goes on here. Uh, we, our return team, I thank God for them, are, have been faithfully making plans for our returns, not only for our worship services, that is our priority, but also uh, different other ministries. And so slowly we're going to be seeing uh, various ministries return to the building. They're gonna, you, your ministry leaders will make that decision based upon just the needs of your group. And, uh, they, and so most likely they'll start in a hybrid kind of mode, uh, and that might be for a while. Um, or they may continue virtually as well. So you just kinda, uh, you can look to your ministry leaders about that. But as we think back to trial, I think we can sort of, at least, uh, I think for me, at least, I feel like I can breathe a little more. Uh, well, it helps not have to wear my mask all the time uh, as the preacher here. Uh, but from a Christian perspective, I think we can start thinking about uh, reflecting upon the, some of the lessons that we've learned. And 
I thought about maybe even doing a series on that. I'm not sure, but uh, at least you can at least for, to encourage us as believers to to reflect upon. This has been a pretty significant trial in the life of uh, the church, life of the world, really. Uh, but God has, been, uh, has designed it to teach us things. And you, we should ask ourselves, if, or if we don't reflect upon what God may have taught us through it, we really miss an opportunity to learn from God. And so uh, I, I hope that as, uh, as you reflect upon it, as you've learned some lessons. I know it has tested our faith uh, individually as well as corporately as a church. And as we start returning to us, what uh, we call a, a post-pandemic life, uh, I trust you've thought about and are thinking about how God has tested your faith, how God has uh, taught you lessons in, uh, in and through this trial. And I, I hope that as we get opportunities to fellowship, sometimes downstairs after the service or during the week, you have opportunities to kind of share with one another about the things you're learning. Because uh, it's, it's great to learn them for yourself, but it's, it's awesome if you can share with someone else. Because in that sharing, uh, we speak truth to one another and we encourage one another. How has the Lord uh, been working in your life? That's a great question to think about. But throughout the pandemic, I have been reminded that our hope is in God. Our hope is in God. Alone. In him alone. You know, our hope is, is definitely not in government, okay? Uh, that's, but we knew that already before the pandemic. But, you know, the government's great. And, you know, if it wasn't government, you know, we would be, it would have been even more chaotic. But our hope is not in government. Our hope is not in even, you think about it, in our education or our occupations. Our hope is not in, it's not in people, as wonderful people are. Our hope is not in uh, science or even a, a vaccine or the medical world. Our hope is... Not even in, in, in church or not even in, in our families as, as often as we look to them uh, when, we, uh, when we go through difficulties. Our hope, of course, as a Christian, is in God. Our hope is in God alone. And I think I've been reminded by that in, uh, during this pandemic. And, I'm not, and I, when I say our hope is in God, I'm not merely speaking of subjective sentiment. That I just feel like oh, my hope is in God. But it's an objective certainty. We do not merely feel hope as Christians. We possess hope as Christians. We have hope. It's something that we have as a, as a, as a possession of our own uh, in, our, in our minds. It is true. It's real. It's substantive. It's, it's not just something that we feel or something that's subjective. It is... And, we possess hope, for hope is grounded in God as revealed in his word. It is God's word that gives us the objective certainty that God is on the throne of heaven even as our world falls apart. And he sovereignly rules over all things, including pandemics. Without God's word, we have no objective certainty about God, do we? We would not know whether God is, you know, if we didn't have God's, we would not know whether God's in the trees or, or in a chair or in a rock or in the wind or that God is nowhere. We're just every, every valid, every opinion would be valid. It says because we have no objective truth revealing it to us. But it's only because God has given us his word that we can know him and that we can have hope in him that is certain. Uh, in this psalm, uh, this uh, of the longest of the psalms, of the 150 psalms, Psalm 119 uh, reveals to us the, the treasure of God's word in the life of the worshiper of God. Uh, 
uh, in it, this, uh, the anonymous psalmist, we don't know who it's written by, uh, extols basically the, the preciousness of God's word. He does it in 22 stanzas of eight verses each. It's a beautiful poetry. It's, it's uh, you know, just if we try to do this ourselves, <laughs> it would be, it would be uh, we would not even come close. But 22 stanzas, each stanza representing one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. The psalm is an acrostic. That is, each verse of each stanza. So for the first stanza, they all begin with the same letter, with the first letter, Aleph. And if you go all the way from the, to the very end of the 22nd stanza, all last eight verses of, the 20, of that 22nd stanza begin with the letter Tau, uh, which is Aleph to Tau. That's the last letter of the Hebrew letter, alphabet. In this seventh stanza... All eight verses begin with the seventh letter, letter of the Hebrew language, Zion, Zion, which is equivalent basically to our letter Z. In the, just the previous stanza, just to give a little context, the psalmist's hope in God's promise to save produced in him a love for God's word. So his hope in God's promise to save produced in him a love for God's word. And today's stanza builds on the theme of God's promises, specifically that the worshiper's hope is in God, in God's in God and his word. And the key to hope is remembering God's word. The key to hope is remembering God's word. You cannot have hope in God if you don't remember God's word. Because God's word reveals to us the promises of God. What can you hope for? I have hope. I don't know what I'm hoping for if I don't remember what God's word is. And I hope that this sermon today will not only encourage you to, to hope in God uh, we are, that as a Christian, if you, are, if you are a Christian, and hope in God at all times in your life, but as you reflect on the pandemic that we've just went through, and uh, you will find that, I hope that you have found that truly your hope has been in God, in God alone, and that your hope in God was strongest during the pandemic when you remembered God's truths revealed in his word. Often, we lose hope because we forget God's word. We lose hope because we forgot what God has said and what God has promised. And the key word in this passage is this word, remember. Hebrew, it starts with, is the word zakar. Zakar, that's why. It's like Zachariah. If you ever think Zachariah, his name means that the Lord remembers. Zakar is the word remember. And then we find actually this word verb three times in our passage, and each marking off a section of the stanza. And so for an outline today, we're going to look at this. Three points. Remembering God's word is the key to hope in the face of three circumstances of life. When we remember God's word, it gives us hope in the face of these various circumstances in our life. And so number one, we're going to take a look. Point number one. uh, Let's see. Uh, It's remembering God's word gives us hope in the face of affliction. It gives us faith, hope in the face of affliction. Hmm. Well, I seem to have lost my first point. Anyways, uh, it's going to be remembering God's word gives us hope in the face of affliction. I think I deleted it. Uh, <laughs> that's what you need to get for doing your keynote last thing in the morning. Right. Anyways, let's read verse 49 to 50. Verse 49 to 50. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me, that your word has revived me. Um, 
these verses basically continue the worshiper's prayer to God. He's been praying to God. And the whole psalm is almost like a prayer at times. It's uh, sometimes called a lament psalm because the, the psalmist is, is clear that he's going through some kind of difficulties, some trials. He's been going through afflictions, adversaries, etc. But he begins, <clears throat> and so often he'll, he'll cry out to God. He'll lament to God, and he'll cry out for help. And the psalmist here begins in his prayer with a request of God to remember his word. The psalmist, he wants God to remember his word. Remember the word to your servant. Um, it's interesting that he begins with this prayer request to call God to remember his word. Later on, the psalmist is going to express his own uh, remembrance of God's word. But before that, he calls on God to remember his word. Before, he talks about this, before he, the psalmist talks about himself remembering God's word, more important, more significant, is that God remembers his word. And this is a significant point. It is only because we have a God who remembers his word and thus keeps his word that we can then find hope and comfort through remembering his word ourselves. See, God has spoken his word. He's spoken his word through Moses and the other prophets in the, in the, recorded in the Old Testament scriptures, revealing, and well, even for us, New Testament, he recorded in the New Testament scriptures as well. And in them, he's revealed his promises to those who worship and serve him. Beginning even in Genesis, he made promises to Adam and Eve of a, of a descendant who would defeat Satan. Remember that? Genesis 3. He made promises to to Noah and his descendants of never destroying the world through flood again, Genesis 9. He made promises to Abraham of a land, a nation, and a blessing for his descendants in Genesis 12. He made promises to Moses and Israel of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience in Deuteronomy 27-28. He made promises to David of an eternal kingdom for one of his sons, 2 Samuel 7. He made promises to the people of God to write his law on their heart and forgive their sin and remember it no more, Jeremiah 31. And many other promises that we, you know, if any of those of you Bible-believing Christians have kind of read your Bibles, you'll see that they're all, there are abundant thousands and thousands of God's promises. God has made, and he's made them all through the prophets recorded in scriptures. And God And the psalmist is calling upon God to remember his promises. Remember the words that you spoke to your servant. You know, I might come here and I I could stand here and simply say, you know, I promise all you that you come up next Sunday, you all come here next Sunday, I'm going to give you all a a rib lunch, barbecue rib lunch. Okay, That might not be safe, but I'm promising it to you anyways. Now... You might think, well, this, <laughs> yes, I'll see you next week then. All right. I'm, I might promise you that. I might. That's a key word, okay? <laughs> um, but you know, whether I keep that word promise is dependent on well, a couple things. But for sure it depends on whether I remember my promise, right? Because if I walk in Sunday morning and I forgot all about it, I didn't make plans, I didn't, get, I didn't call Armandillo, you know, uh, Billy's, and uh, call them up and say, hey, uh, you know, I, I want to order, uh, I have faith, so 500 Barbecue lunches, because it's going to be, uh, everybody's going to come back to church on Sunday. Um, then, uh, but most likely, I'm going to forget, okay? Just telling you, I'll probably forget by next week. And, and that's me, because I'm a human being, and we are human beings, we forget our promises. Um, <laughs> you'll be simply disappointed. But God does not forget his promises. The psalmist prays his prayer not because God might actually forget. He knows that God does not forget. 
As many as there are of God's covenant promises, the Lord does not forget one of them. In Psalm 111, verse 5, he, uh, the psalmist there writes, He that is God will, will remember his covenant, that is, his promises, forever. God remembers his word. God does not forget his word. And God remembers his promises. So what is the pr- psalmist doing through this prayer? The psalmist's prayer is really an expression of faith. Do I trust God? Am I trusting that God's going to remember his word? God has said it in his word, and I might say, yeah, that's what it says. But do I, do I believe that? Do I believe that God's going to keep his word? Am I trusting in God to keep his word? And that is often expressed through prayer, as the psalmist does here. He knows that his hope is found only in God's remembrance of his word. God's word really is the ground of our hope. Um, this, uh, the verb that's translated hope has uh, the main idea of basically, or that, uh, the word that's translated hope has the main idea of waiting. It's this idea of waiting for something. Hope is oftentimes something that you need to have when you're waiting. Hope always involves waiting. Hope is something that you are going to be looking forward to. It's something that's in the future you're, you're expecting to happen, but it will involve waiting. Some of the, as I'm getting older, sometimes I find that one of the trials uh, that the, the test is that sometimes when you just are waiting and you just don't know how long, you know, you have those trials in life, you just don't know how long it's going to last. How long is this pandemic going to last? How long am I going to have this health condition? How long am I going to have to endure uh, this difficulty with this other person? It's, it's always the, it's the, it's the waiting that makes hard. If, God, if I would know that, oh, the Lord says uh, in one year it's going to be over, oh, that would, you know, that would give me hope. But lots of, I don't get that kind of revelation. We hope, we wait as we hope. Hope is, uh, hope is ours because of what God has promised his word. The psalmist waits for God as he hopes in him. And the worship of God, you and I, we must have faith in that God will keep his word. And so we, we can pray that. We can pray it as a request, but really knowing that God will answer, but it's our way of expressing our dependence. This hope is what comforts the worshiper, as we see in the Psalms. It's what comforts. It's, it's his comfort. This is my comfort and my affliction, this hope that I have in God's word. It comforts him in the face of his own affliction. The Hebrew word for this affliction is related, in, particularly in its verbal form, it, it means to afflict or to oppress or this idea of to humble when you go through affliction, you are humbled. You're brought low. The psalmist has been, is facing some situation where he has been humbled and brought low. Though it may be the result of enemies, in this, in this case it seems like, but it could be also, we can also be afflicted or brought low by other external circumstances. But nevertheless, whatever the source of our afflictions, whatever brings us low, ultimately affliction is under God's sovereign control. Later on, in fact, in Psalm 119, verse 75, the psalmist will write, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. That's that verb, that same word. See, whatever may be afflicting you, know that in the sovereignty of God, he is in control. God is in control of your affliction. God is, he's, he, if he's not in control, he's not God. In fact, he uses affliction 
to humble and test us, test our faith in him. He uses afflictions to teach us. Moses actually wrote about this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. And let me show you Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. There in this, uh, Moses writing to the nation again, he says, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Twice in this verb, you see this verb, humble, that he might, in verse 2 as well as in verse 3, those are the same verb that's translated afflict here. See, whatever affliction that causes you to be brought low and humbled is a means by which the Lord may be testing your faith so that you'll know what's in your heart, so that you'll know whether you're trusting him or truly or not. It's also, it's also the means by which he is teaching you his truths. This pandemic has definitely done that, has it not? It has shown us what is in our hearts. It has shown us probably idols that we've had, things that we, couldn't, we didn't have before, and now we, we long for them, we wanted them, we, we, we felt dissatisfied because we didn't have that, when the pandemic never took away Christ. Right? And he's the greatest treasure. It's really show, the pandemic has showed us when in our hearts, especially in the very beginning of the pandemic, when we had all the reason in the world to stop uh, attending worship services, when you know, our services went online, basically, and we, we basically only had online services, when no one, was, no one was calling you and checking up on you and seeing, hey, are you attending service? Did you continue to worship him? Did you continue to walk with him? Or did you check out? When, you know, the government started saying that you, you can't sing. You're not allowed to sing. A big overstep there. Did we stop singing? Did you stop singing? Or did you find a way to at least in your heart before, right before the Lord, you said, I'm going to sing in my heart to him. I'm going to, did, or I'm going to just continue singing nevertheless. As the pandemic is diminishing, there's even oh, one more test. And I understand that we all have uh, different health issues and circumstances. But if you are returning to your workplace, your school, if you're playing, returning to your gym, your vacations, your family gatherings, your sporting events, your restaurants, but you're not returning to church, then that's a means by which God wants to show you what it may be in your heart, what it may be that you are treasuring more than the worship of God. And I say maybe because I can't see in your hearts. Only you can examine where you are with the Lord and what it reveals about yourself. In every affliction, what, Lord, what lesson may the Lord be teaching you? The psalmist writes that it is God's word that has revived or preserved his life. Perhaps your present affliction is given so that you might understand that 
where your hope lies. That is, what are you looking to to preserve your life? Is it God's word that is God himself or is it something else? Certainly in wisdom and sound judgment, exercise, we are ought to exercise appropriate precautions for you and your family. But at the end of the day, we are to hope in God in the face of our affliction. We are to hope in him alone because God is the one who delivers and saves us. We must, and we, this we know because God has revealed it in his word. Let's remember God's word. All right. Number two, we, number one, remembering God's uh, word gives us hope in the face of affliction. Number two, we, we secondly learn that remembering God's word gives us hope in the face of adversaries. Adversaries in verse 51 to 53. The uh, <clears throat> psalmist continues and writes, The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I did not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinance from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. <clears throat> the psalmist here expresses that he is facing adversaries. He, we've seen this mention of this in the past, in the past uh, times through the Psalm 119. And he has mentioned these enemies on occasions. Back in verse 21, for instance, and there he used the same term, the arrogant. Those are, the arrogant are those who wander from God's commandments. They're the people who don't follow God's law. They are those who have reproached him. They are those who uh, lie against him. They are those who persecute him. They are those who oppress him. And these we all find various references in Psalm 119. And here we learn that these are those who deride him. To the word deride means to simply to contemptuously mock or ridicule someone for following God's law. And they, first, they mock those who, forsake, who follow God's law because they themselves are wicked and have forsaken God's law, as we read in verse 53. I think for uh, Christians today, Bible-believing Christians today, we can relate with this, right? There is a, there is, if you follow God's law, if you follow God's law, there will be times when you will face those who are, uh, we will call, the Bible calls them arrogant, because they forsake God's law, and they will mock you for actually believing or following God's law. I can just give you some examples. To believe that there is a God, much less one who created the world out of nothing in six literal days, is often mocked as anti-science, is it not? To believe that mankind possesses a sinful nature is negative thinking, counter to the world's belief that man is basically good. To believe that God made mankind with two genders, that homosexuality is a sin, that abortion is murder, will probably get you fired or canceled. They may, call, they may even call you arrogant for thinking that you know better than them about who they are on the inside or how they were born or their own personal choice, as the world puts it. But they, when they say that, are creating a false choice. They're creating a false choice between their beliefs and yours. As if it's really what you think versus what they think. But it's not. It's a false dichotomy in that sense. See, as far back as the garden, the choice has always been between what any creature says and what the creator says. 
That is the true dichotomy. That's always the choice before everyone. What Bible-believing Christians believe is what God has said in his word. What we believe really doesn't matter personally, but what we, when we believe what God says, we are trusting that God, what, God, and what God has revealed in his word. There is no arrogance in believing what God has said. In fact, rather, it is actually a humble submission to God to believe in his word. Is it not? Sadly, though, under the pressure, of course, of adversaries in our world, of the mocking and derision of the world, too many Christians have turned aside from God's word under the pressure of these adversaries. We've softened our stances often on what is clear in the scriptures. Or we've even backed away from publicly stating what we believe out of fear. Yet note that for the psalmist, he does not turn. He did not turn aside from God's law, he says. He remains committed to God's word. And how does he do so? He did so by remembering God's word. He does so by remembering God. He, I remember the words, God. He remembers uh, <clears throat> God's ancient words, words of old. He remembers that, you know, your opinion is just in your lifetime. But God's word is from of old. It's tested not just a thousand years, two thousand years, thousands of years. From the beginning of time, God's word has been tested and it's never been found false. And, and you're telling me that, that your word, in, in your, you figured out in your short 30, 40, 50, 60, oh yes, maybe a hundred years, is somehow now greater than God's word? No, I, I'm going to remember God's word. God's word of old. It's been true of old. It's, it's that we remember how in this, and, and this, and this is worn out in the scriptures. When we have the scriptures, it, it tells us of how God acted and how God spoke, of how God promised, of how God fulfilled his word in various times, various places to various peoples, particularly uh, the nation of Israel. And in them, they, when we, the psalmist, he remembers it all. It gives him hope. It helps him, it strengthens him against his adversaries. His words, his words are truth. God is a just God. And therefore, all his, all, his wor- all his law, all that he speaks, all his ordinances, all his guidelines, his, his truths reflect that justice. It reflects righteousness. His word is everlasting truth. Not just subjective truths that change with time and popular opinion, as our opinions often do. God's word is eternal. The psalmist will later write in Psalm 119, 160, these words, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. And the world may claim to have the truth. They may claim to be on the right side of history. But when worshipers of God hold on and remember his word, they hold on to everlasting truth. And and in the end, all will be shown to be liars and God alone to be true. These verses remind us that when you walk in God's way, you will face adversaries who oppose your beliefs, who oppose your way of life. And there are people, because there are people who are going to be threatened by your faith. To accept what you believe is, it's, it has serious ramifications for anyone that they themselves are sinners, 
that they themselves face the wrath of a holy, infinite God. They might go to hell. They will go to hell if they do not repent and believe. That's that's what that's why how in a sense why they take offense. It's a very offensive thing to someone who doesn't believe these things. And the only way out is is not through just finding any God to get away. The Bible says there's only one way out, and that is through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins. And all of this, it's it's hard for many to accept, and they will be offended by it. They stumble over it. And you, and when, and they, so it's much easier for them to simply say it's not true and deride you for believing it. All of us, however, can learn from the psalmist's example and resist forsaking God's word. Especially those who are young, it's easy to, to be tempted to, to soften our words. How many times I've seen, as soon as someone, some Christian person gets famous, he gets famous in the world, he or she gets famous, a famous musician, famous, what, a sports athlete, all of a sudden, what was once a real strong faith starts getting softened. Well, I don't really think that's sin. I, you know, I really just want to love everyone. And, you know, and the, or it's just like, you know, I, well, I really don't know. They want to take a false humility and say, well, I really don't know. Yeah, you don't know, but what does God know? God knows a lot. You know, it's so often we, we do that because we're afraid. We forsake God's word. Instead, remember God's word. Find comfort in God's word in the face of adversaries. Is God not the God of truth? Has he not fulfilled his word countless times in scriptures? Has he ever been proven to be false? When you believe what the Bible says, it is not your own opinion, but faith in what God, the God of truth, has spoken. Let his words comfort you in the face of adversaries, to hold on to God's truths, as you understand that you have nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of. It is they who forsake God, as their wickedness bears it out. Your hope, is in God's word. Hope in God in the face of your adversaries by remembering his word and what it reveals about your God. That's point number two. Thirdly, we learn in this psalm that we, when we remember God's word, it gives us hope in the face of alienation. Alienation. Verse 54 to 56, we read these words. The psalmist says, Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. O Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine, that I observe your precepts. I like this. uh, uh, I like verse 54, especially in the NIV. You know, it says, but it's a, God's word becomes the theme of his song. You are the theme of my song. Your word is the themes of my song. I like that phrasing. But the psalmist here says that God's word are are his song. It's It's what he sings out of his lips. They are the theme of all that he sings to God. You know, God's word is such a comfort and encouragement that they are often expressed in song, just as we already done so this morning. You know, it's, it's because we have not, and I, and I, it's because we have not been able to be together in person that the other elements of our Christian life, it's just like when you lose a sense, that your other, element, your other senses become stronger, Worship and song has become stronger to me. It's spoken more to me during this pandemic than, you know, than other times. I, the God's word has spoken more to me in reading it through than other times. Because I, I, I've lost that, I, in the past, I lost that opportunity to fellowship with people that often, that we would get that sense of God. But these, we sing these songs, and they're so powerful because why? 
It's not just because they got a great, you know, beat, music, you know, something I could dance to. <laughs> it's because they have truth in them, right? It's because they have truth. So I, thank you, worship leaders, again. I cannot thank our worship ministry enough for their service to the Lord and to our church. Uh, they have blessed me so many times. Countless ways they do not understand. And I, I trust it's not just me, but many of us. I uh, loved especially when they, they introduce hymns. You know, our family, oftentimes, if, whenever there's a hymn sung, we actually have a hymn of the week. And we, we just choose, if there's a hymn sung this morning, it's going to be one of, I think there's two this week, double bonus. We're going to choose one of these hymns to be our hymn of the week. And we're going to sing it over and over. Why are these hymns being sung still? Some of these are 200, 300, 400, 500 years old. That's a little old-fashioned, don't you think? Can we find any new songs? What, we sing old songs. Because there are God's truths in them. There are God's truths that resonate from every generation to every generation. They resonate with us, and, and, they, and, they, and we hold on to them because of that. We sing them. Uh, <laughs> this past week, I can't get how firm a foundation on my head, nor can my kids. <laughs> so hymns of the week, we're thankful for the worship ministry. But we sing them in our songs. Truths are, when we sing our songs, we, we sing them truthfully. Um. We sing God's truths, uh, not just when all is well. We sing God's truths when we're troubled, when we feel alone, when we're helpless, when we're, going, we're troubled, going through trials. The psalmist here sings God's words in what he describes as the house of his pilgrimage. It's a strange term, phrase, but the phrase is literally in the house of my sojourning, in my travels. And we've seen this word sojourn in different times in the Bible. And it speaks of a sojourner is often translated as one who is an, an alien. Well, that's not a politically correct term these days. But it is, that's, that's, a, that's a term nevertheless. Sojourners, aliens, strangers is another way of describing, all translated in these ways. It's someone who's traveling through a land that is not their own. You're a foreigner. You're, you're a traveler. You're, this is not your home. You're just passing through. That's what is, so he's trying in the house of my soldier and in the house of my, my travels. Back in verse 19, the psalmist wrote, I am a stranger, that is a sojourner, an alien on, in the earth. And he calls God to do not hide your commandments from me. According to Leviticus 25, 23, the Israelites were called by God as aliens and sojourners. God wanted to understand that you are alien soldier. This is not your home. You may be in the promised land, but you are still, remember, you are merely aliens and sojourners in this world. You are strangers. This is not your home. Don't live like this is your home for eternity. It's not. Their eternal home would be a heavenly home, a heavenly country with God as their father and Jesus as their, and the, the Christ as their king. This alien terminology, uh, alien stranger terminology will be used of Christ's church as well in 1 Peter 2.11. You see, the people of God, whether the nation of Israel, whether the church of God, are all strangers in this earth. We, and we who live here are completely, because when you're alien strangers, you basically, you have no rights and you have no resources. You have no rights, you have no resources. That's basically what it is. You're generally helpless. Oftentimes, strangers are categorized in the same category as orphans and widows. Categories of helplessness in the Bible. 
And that's why, by the way, I mean, maybe not politically correct, but maybe it is. But that's why as church, we, we have compassion on those in helpless, those who are aliens and strangers, even illegal ones. So when the psalmist speaks of the house of surgery, he's sojourning, he's speaking of his life and this world as an alien and stranger. This life on this world, this is his house of his sojourning. He is simply a needy stranger in the earth. He's alone. And so, that, just as he did in Psalm, 9, Psalm uh, in verse 19, he cries out that, don't, do, of God, don't hide your commandments from me. Don't leave me without your word, because your word is what I need to live on. He knows that his help comes from God and his word, so he, that's why he sings about them. And when he sings about them, singing has a way of reminding one of God's word, God's promises. And it, singing has a way of comforting us when we sing God's word. When Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned in, the, in Philippi, in that book of Acts, what did they do in the middle of the night? When most people were sleeping, they were singing. They were singing hymns to God. They were worshiping him. You know, singing is, and by the way, singing is not like some magical thing that's going to all of a sudden bring you deliverance from, your, from whatever you're facing. But singing will bring comfort as you remember God's word. And are encouraged to hope in God, even as you continue in your afflictions. The psalmist in verse 55 reiterates the remembrance of God's word in the night, specifically God's name or character. You know, have you ever had those sleepless nights? They're miserable, okay? It's miserable if you ever had a sleepless night. It's like you want to sleep, you know you ought to sleep, but you can't sleep. You're just, you're just alert. Maybe, maybe you're like me, you had too much coffee too late at night. Okay, that sometimes happens. But it, it's like all of a sudden it's like, man, I want to sleep, but I can't. And usually it's because there's something weighing on your heart, right? Usually that's the case. When you're stressed, when, you're, when we've been thinking about something, that you can't even, you, you're even thinking about that into the night. Those sleepless nights. But then, uh, and it's at a, it's a nighttime where, when you, you alone are there, you're alone. You're, your spouse might be next to you, but uh, he or she's asleep. You're alone with your thoughts in the middle of the night, and you can't sleep. What do you do? What do you do with those worries? What do you do with those guys? You're alone. You're alienated. You can remember God. You remember God. You remember God in the night. That's... That's what the psalmist does. He remembers God's name. He remembers God's character. And how does he know God's character? By what's revealed in God's word. You and I, in the middle of the night, when we find ourselves in those places where we are sleepless in the night, we can meditate upon God's word. We can memorize God's word. And the more, and as we, that helps us to reflect upon him, and the more we do that, the more we'll respond in love, and a desire to obey him, to continue to walk with him, follow him. It is through the regular remembrance and meditation of God's word that produces a regular obedience to God's word, as the psalmist himself writes here. <clears throat> and this is important, just go to practical Christian life truth, that if you're not meditating and remembering God's word, you will not be obeying God's word. Now, I almost guarantee that. If you're not regularly memorizing or meditating or thinking about God's word, you're not going to be obeying God's word. You could fake it for a little while, but eventually it's like you're not eating food. You're going to grow weak. You're going to grow sick. Remembering God's word goes hand in hand with obeying God's word. 
I love the old saying that's attributed to John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He's uh, said that it was written in his Bible flap, <clears throat> and it's written these words, either this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Like that? Um, I, I, actually, I did that with one of my Bible spoons, but then my Bible got stolen, so I never did that again. Uh, it didn't seem to work, because that, that person you know, sinned and stole my Bible. But no, it doesn't work. <laughs> The fact is, it kept me from sin. Um, you know, but this is really, what John Bunyan says is really what God's, God has said himself. God has said in his word. Psalm 119, he said earlier in Psalm 119, verse 911, this is something, one of those verses that every young man has memorized. Okay, if you haven't memorized young men, you should memorize it. And if you're a young woman, you should memorize it too, okay? Anyways, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to your word. You're, with all my heart I have sought you. Your word, uh, do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word of treasure in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? That's a very good uh, memory. God, I treasure God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. As alien strangers, we are always in danger of the world's temptations and enticements to sin, to not trust in God, to forsake God. But only God's word, whether we sing it from our lips or remember it in the night, uh, equips us to trust in God, to hope in God, and to obey God. Hope in God in the face of your alienation by remembering his word and obeying. Okay. All right, that's, uh, those are our three points. <clears throat> Let's wrap up with conclusion then. <clears throat> As worshipers of God, our hope <clears throat> is in God <clears throat> and the promises of his word. <clears throat> Afflictions, adversaries, and alienation will come in a fallen world. And they will, they will tempt you and me to wander away from God, to forsake his word. <clears throat> and in those times, it will happen because we forget God's promises. We forget God's word. And so we must remember God's word. Remember God's word. Only through remembering his word, as the psalmist writes about. Can, and Because God remembers his word, Let's remember that God, God, God's word too. Can we find then a certain and sure hope that is in God? No greater promise in the scripture is the promise of salvation and eternal life in his kingdom through faith in his son. In him, in Jesus Christ, when he came and died on the cross and rose from the grave, in him all the promises of God from that point on basically are fulfilled they're, they're brought to fruition. They're ratified. All these things are fulfilled in Christ. And so if you're out here or you're out there and you have not yet received uh, and believed in the promise of God for salvation, uh, forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that today. Right where you're at, wherever you're at home, that you would acknowledge that God is your creator and that you're a sinner, that you've turned away from him and you need to turn back to him in faith. Believe upon Christ. Put your trust in him. Let your hope be in him and him alone for your salvation. For he sent his son to die in your place. Died for your sins so that you can be forgiven before him. Well, for the rest of us here, those are all your believers. There's just kind of three questions to leave you with, just to think about, to encourage you in your faith. And these three questions are this. In what is your hope? I hope this pandemic has been challenged you, remind you, what is your hope in? And what is your hope? What do you hope in for life? Is it God or is it something else? 
Secondly, how are afflictions, adversaries, or alienation affecting your hope in God? We're all going through trials at different places in our life, but how is that affecting your hope in God? Are you still hoping him? Are you, are you, as you're waiting through your trial, through maybe enemies, through, through different, uh, being humbled, brought low, through being, feeling alone, separated, all these things, how, you, how are they affecting your hope in God? It should be causing you to, to you know, the, the response of a, of a believer is, ought to be to, to hope in God more by remembering his word. But a lot of times we forget God's word, so we, we fall away. We allow the afflictions, the first adversaries, alienation, to, to tempt us to fall away from God. And so therefore, you need to remember God's word. So when you think about whatever affliction of trial you may be facing, think about it. Look at the scriptures. What are some promises in God's word that you can give you hope in the face of your trials? There's many different, uh, every, there's various trials, but maybe there's certain promises in God's word that can, you can hold on to, memorize, meditate, reflect on. And so, uh, let me, let's, let's, uh, let me close in prayer and then we'll ask uh, Brother Vince to come and sing the final song. Father, help us to uh, thank you for, for your word. Thank you for in it. Um, you remind us of your promises. You remind us of who you are. Help us to not, never lose our hope in you. Help us to always remember your word. Help us to remember your word, Lord. You know we are frail. We're so easily uh, tempted to forsake, to fall away, to shirk back from this faith that you have in Christ. But Lord, in the face of afflictions, adversaries, and in the face of alienation, Lord, cause us to remember your word. Cause us to hope in you. Cause us to find our comfort in you and you alone. In these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.